Hey, this is the message for Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is April 5th this year. And this year, all across America and the world, it looks like, maybe not the whole world. I imagine there's some believers meeting in some places. But it uh, looks like it's going to be a digital Easter, a digital Holy Week, a digital Palm Sunday, which means that those who are delivering messages, encouraging, are doing it digitally. In a, so I'm going to be in John chapter 12, and I'm going to read that to you. And just you can watch this video. We'll have some scriptures where I'm going to talk to you about Palm Sunday. Let me open by telling you a story from Ray Steadman and his commentary on the book of John, which I'd heard this before about a horse named Bucephalus. I don't know if you've heard of this horse named Bucephalus before, but Ray Steadman says that he was the largest, wildest, most majestic looking animal that the king had ever seen. Six ropes were tied to the horse's neck and it took six men to hold this beast in place as it reared and snorted and struck sparks from the ground with its hooves. King Philip of Macedon walked all around the horse and he admired its spirit and strength. Have you ever seen a more magnificent animal? King Philip asked the eager Thessalonian merchant who had brought the steed into the king's court. Never, admitted the king, but I can't use such an animal. He's too wild. The merchant was crestfallen. Let me break him, father, said a youthful voice. The king turned and saw his 16-year-old son standing with his hands proudly on his hips. If the horse will let me ride him, then buy him for me, the prince continued. If I fail to ride him, I will pay you a forfeit equal to his price. So King Philip agreed. And the young man mounted the animal, and the wild horse immediately calmed down and allowed the young prince to put him through his paces. The entire court broke into applause. King Philip was amazed and delighted. He ran to his son and embraced him. My son, he exclaimed, Macedonia is too small for you. You are ready to conquer kingdoms. Go and become king of the world. Well, that's the story that's told of Alexander the Great. His father was the king of Macedonia, and he became king of Macedonia. And Alexander did indeed go on to conquer all the known world. And he was known for his horse, Bucephalus. And he was known for spreading the Greek language and the Greek culture around the world, from Africa to Europe, the Middle East, and onto the Indus River Valley, and all the lands in between. Well, we serve a different king, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he did not ride a horse named Bucephalus. He rode a mild donkey. So let me turn in the scriptures and read to you the story of Palm Sunday in John chapter 12. Now we have been in John's gospel in our church and just the pace of where we're going puts us right on track for this scripture this Sunday. So let me start in verse 10. Uh, and this gives us a little context. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And so that's the context of the triumphal entry, is many people, crowds, were believing in Jesus because of Lazarus. Verse 12 of John 12. 
The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So I, I'm going to pause right there in verse 15. This is from the book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, where he prophesied that the Messiah would come on a donkey. And so the words are the same, but let me just read to you straight from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Zion is Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. It's the capital of Israel. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So we think of donkeys as kind of a comical animal today. But in Jesus' day and before, they were, they were the transportation that merchants and kings and all kinds of people uh, that had the resources would ride. And if you didn't have the resources, you would just walk. And so we think of them as kind of a comical animal from the movie Shrek or other things that you wouldn't ride them like Alexander the Great. Well, the Jews were not as, they didn't have as many horses as, say, the Arabians or the other people groups of the ancient world and so they were they were happy with donkeys it is a sign of humility as well that the messiah of israel would enter humbly it's a sign that he's a king of peace entering the city of peace because jerusalem salem comes or salem comes from the word shalom in hebrew which means peace it's that god provides peace that's what the name jerusalem means uh, the other thing that stands out here is they take palm branches and they go out to meet him and they're crying Hosanna. Hosanna means God save us or just save us. And the palm branches is they, they were throwing palm branches and clothes on the ground because it was like rolling out the red carpet. Now palm branches are not the only, or here at Palm Sunday isn't the only place that palm branches are mentioned in the scriptures. In Revelation chapter 7, it talks about what we presume to be a future day. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is in Revelation 7. And, and the context is after the 144,000 are selected in Revelation 7. So it's a greater context than I could get into. But it says this in Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked. This is John, same guy who writes John's Gospel. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So if you think that you missed out on the original Palm Sunday when Jesus entered Jerusalem, 
there's another day coming when Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem again. The first time he entered as the meek lamb. And the next time he is entering as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we will have the opportunity to say Hosanna once again. But this time it isn't going to be crying out, oh God, save us. They were crying out, save us from the Romans. Save us from tyranny. We as believers cry out, save us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Save us from sin. But what we're going to be crying out there in Revelation 7 is, Oh God, you have saved us. Salvation is complete. You've done it. So let me go back to John chapter 12 and finish the story. In verse 16, it says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So the disciples were as thick-headed as we are, and they didn't understand. They couldn't put all the pieces together. In, in fact, it took Jesus, even after he was resurrected, in Luke, at the end of Luke, when he begins explaining things to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he expounded to them the scriptures, starting with Moses, the writings of Moses. And he, he showed them how he fulfilled everything. Now, one interesting thing when you think about it, Jesus, a lot of things were done to him, as it says here in the scripture. He could not choose who his, his uh, you know, where he was born, Bethlehem, and yet that fulfilled a scripture in Micah. He could not fulfill the fact, you know, on, on his own. In other words, none of us choose where we're born. He could not fulfill the fact that he was of the tribe of Judah, and yet that fulfills uh, toward the end of Genesis a prophecy that, that you'd have J Judah as the, the having the scepter of Judah, the primary, you know, the, the kingship was prophesied for the tribe of Judah. So he didn't control those things. And yet this thing he did. He willingly sat on that donkey and entered Jerusalem and essentially was telling Jerusalem, his disciples, his opponents, he's saying, yes, I am the Messiah. And he wanted them to know that he knew that he was the Messiah. And it was the ultimate, uh, one of the signs, the prophecies of scripture that he did have a choice in. And he was saying, yep, you got it. I am the Messiah. I'm entering Jerusalem. And this event had been prophesied centuries before. So in verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So you see the element of how him raising Lazarus from the dead fed into the vast numbers of people who are now witnessing that, yes, he is the living water. He is the bread of life for those who are hungry. For those who die like Lazarus, he is the resurrection and the life. And he's going to go on in John chapter 14 and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we stand here, even though we're closed in uh, with this coronavirus shutdown, we still bear witness. Jesus is still on the throne. We are still saying, Hosanna, God save us. We trust you. And one thing that I might say as an aside is, in all this craziness where people are a little more anxious, uh, even aggravated because of it's a stressful time. 
and worried about jobs and the economy and all these different things, Jesus is still the most important thing. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. And in fact, for those of us who, even, even if we are afraid, what if I die? For those of us who are believers, it says in Hebrews 2.14, it says that, he himself, likewise, talking about Jesus, partook of the same things, the same things that we experience, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's why we need to be praying for our neighbors and families and everybody, because I don't know about you, but I'm not afraid to go. Um, the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and it's not something that I want to rush, but I'm not afraid at all to go. I certainly wouldn't want to for on behalf of my family and, and uh, my wife and my dogs, you know, what would they do without me? But we have been delivered from the fear of death. We're going to simply pass right through death and be in the Lord's presence and ultimately receive our resurrected body. But in the meantime, God has a purpose for us to be a blessing to other people, to intercede, to, uh, to witness to him, just like these crowds did who had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. So John 12, now I'm on verse 18, it says, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And this is still true, even more true now, because Jesus is risen. And those original disciples were witness to it, and we believe their testimony. I think about the disciple Thomas, the apostle Thomas, who said after the others had seen Jesus on the evening of Resurrection Sunday, he said, I won't believe unless I can you know, touch him and, and see him with my eyes and put my, my, my hand in his wound. Uh, and then he did, and Jesus told Thomas, Hey, you've seen me and you believe, but blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet believe. Christianity is logical. Christianity is set in the context of history. It makes sense. The Apostle Paul said that, that if Jesus isn't resurrected, then we're to be the most pitied among all people because we're still in our sins. But the proof is in the pudding. And the proof is that we also have been set free from many fears. The fear of failure, the fear of change, the fear of global pandemic, the fear of an economic crisis. We know that God can produce a good result out of anything. I think of the words, and I will close with this this morning. Don't forget this. Romans 8, verse 28. And sometimes we almost use this or overuse it, but how can you possibly overuse a scripture, right? Romans 8, 28. It says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then don't forget verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So God works all things, and part of his plan that he's predestined us is he wants us to look just like Jesus. He wants us to act and think and behave and bless other people 
and even suffer just like Jesus. Jesus suffered for a purpose that we would have redemption. Nobody can replicate that act of Jesus on the cross dying for our sins. But one thing we can do is we can go through trials and tribulations with courage, knowing that we have an encourager who lives within us, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Ghost, as people uh, used to call him, and it's okay if you still call him that, and he gives us power. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And my phone's ringing, so I think that's time to end the message. So I'm going to end it right there. God bless you. You be well. We love you. Thank you. Bye.